What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Allison Miller. Allison, based in New York City, is an American drummer, composer, and educator known for her versatile style. Fusing jazz with rock, funk, and global music elements, she has collaborated with notable artists including Dr. Lonnie Smith, Ani DeFranco, Natalie Merchant, Brandi Carlisle, and many more. A prolific solo artist, her latest album, Rivers in Our Veins, was released in 2023. Miller's dynamic drumming and dedication to musical innovation resonates with audiences all around the world, so I hope you enjoy the five records that helped shape Allison Miller into the musician she is today. Cheers. And so for this list, what was the criteria for a record to be in the running and then ultimately make your top five? Well, I kept thinking about the question, which was how, you know, what records had crafted you as a drummer? And so I immediately went back in time and back to when I started drumming and when I started getting into music. And that that already kind of weeded out a ton of records. I mean, first of all, this this question is impossible because oh, of course. it's five records, you know. So I went back in time and then I, I decided to kind of focus on records that felt like they transcend the boundary of a of a genre for me, um, because that's how I've always approached the drums. So records that don't feel so binary, you know, and that really weeded it out a lot too. And then I kind of went through the chronologically like, okay, what records did I really start with? And then kind of into my early 20s. And I picked five records from that time period. I picked five great records, but it, that is a difficult task. I Very know. Difficult. Half the people get mad at me and half the people say, this is a therapy session, so thank you. So I hope it's a little bit of both. I'm, you know, passion's good. And I did, I mean, I just, you know, sprung this question on you when we were getting prepped. So I, I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot. But like I said, what non-drummer has had the most impact on you as a player? Well, I would say the biggest inspiration that's a non-drummer is also a non-human. Nice. Um, and that would be water has been my biggest inspiration on the kit and just wanting to sound like water, you know, and kind of I'm on this infinite journey to explore what that means and where I can go with that on the kit, you know, how I can sound, whether I'm playing in time or not in time, how can I 
explore the unpredictability of flow that water can have in nature while I'm still in time. And that's something that is kind of a challenge and is this goal that I'm, this journey that I'll never reach the Mecca of, that I'm just keep trying and trying and trying. And I'll be doing that probably until I can't play drums anymore. I'm never going to get there. And, you know, just wanting to sound like a vocalist on the drums. So I would, and if I'm talking about vocalists, uh, not talking about water, um, I would say Billie Holiday has been a big, big inspiration for me. And uh, when I was young, I was um, one of the records that I did not put on my list, which I can't believe I didn't, but is a super influential record for me is Speak No Evil, Wayne Shorter. And I used to, as a kid, transcribe Wayne's solos on tenor saxophone and I would play them on the drums. So, mm. you know, kind of from the beginning, I was reaching outward from, you know, other instruments than just the drums to, in a sense, mimic on the kit. I think that's really where, where I learned a lot of my phrasing and a lot of my concept, uh, my, my melodic concept on the drums. I love that. Yeah. Everything about yeah. that answer, I loved. And in what <laughs> ways, because I mean, you're so busy, in what ways do you actively seek out new sources of inspiration to make sure that you are personally staying fresh? I mean, that's a challenge. You know, I get a lot of my inspirations from things that aren't drumming. You know, for instance, my girlfriend and I went to um, uh, the New Museum in Manhattan this weekend and saw an artist that I thought I was familiar with. Um, her name is Judy Chicago. But once we, this is a retrospective of her entire career. And once we started digging into this this exhibit, I realized I knew absolutely nothing about her career. I only knew one little sliver of her early 1970s work, you know, and it was fascinating to me because here's this woman who was doing a, something in the art, visual art world that a lot of women weren't doing and weren't felt like they weren't empowered to do or they were limited through sexism. So she took on this role of like, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like perpetual curiosity you know like every single error of her career it felt like she totally went into a new direction and learned a new craft like at some one point i think she called it macho arts and she decided to go to auto body school to learn how to paint cars and then she um basically did this whole series of of pieces that were painting the hoods of cars you know and i don't know i look for inspiration in all different ways from artwork to i might be inspired by somebody that i meet on on the road you know or a country that i go to like this summer we went i went to brazil for the first time and i was in manaus which is in the amazon forest and we did a couple we did a river trip and i was really inspired by the 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 amazon river and just the wildlife surrounding the Amazon River. So, you know, I, I look for inspirations in that way. As far as music goes, I just ask my, like today I did a, a concert and a clinic at a university in Miami. And um, I just asked the students that I meet, like, what are you into? And I, or some, I've, a few times I've had them share playlists with me on, on Spotify and I'll just check out what they're listening to because they're way cooler than I am, you know? <laughs> And they're going to introduce me to something that I never would have found in the first place, you know, honestly. And, you know, when you asked me this question, when you reached out to me, I thought about that a lot. because I was like, wow, what are my favorite records? And why can't I just why aren't they right here at the just right at that right at my fingertips? And I was like, mm -hmm. well, it's probably because I'm just scrolling on streaming devices all the time and I'm not mm -hmm. really like 
actually physically opening a record, a vinyl. Actually, I listen to vinyl at home, so I am playing vinyl, but, you know, I'm not actively reading liner notes as much as I used to do. I'm not. That thing I did when I was a kid where I would, I'd only have money for one record. And when I got that record, I knew, I read all the liner notes. I knew all the personnel. I knew the track listing. I knew the, you know, all the yummy details of a record that you want to know, you know, and I feel like it's not right at my fingertips anymore, even though everything's at my fingertips. You know what I'm saying? It's like a little double-edged sword there. So the other day I was, um, I was driving my kids to school and I was like, you know what? I'm so sick of just playing the same songs they want to hear on the way to school. And I was like, I'm really limiting them, you know? And so I was like, this morning we're going to listen to um, some Beatles. And I was like, we're going to listen to morning, like morning Beatles songs, you know? And then it opened up, they were kind of at first giving me a hard time because they're little and they're like, oh, we don't want to listen to your music. But then they started getting really into it. And then it just, you know, Spotify took over and it started playing all of these tunes kind of that were related to the, the first song. And it was great, you know, and now they're kind of into the Beatles, you know, and it's like, okay, that worked. Let's, let's continue that process, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I, I was just talking to a, a friend that is a little younger than me and she was like, I, I know I would like the Beatles. I just haven't really gone down their rabbit hole. So like, we were we were going to a like a show and she was like let's just play just play me like your favorite Beatles songs, the pressure I had to get someone into arguably one of the best bands ever I like didn't even know which songs to play I just started their earlier stuff and kind of did a somewhat chronological order but it's like where do you start with stuff like that? It, I mean, it, where do you start? It's like <laughs> yeah. for me, I'm such a Prince fanatic, mm-hmm. a certain era of Prince. When someone asks me, what's your favorite Prince? I'm like, well, I don't know. Like when I was, when you asked me this question, I was like, why can't he, can I just do five Prince records? Because I'm <laughs> super influenced by five Prince records. You, you know? can, yeah. Um, I could, I could, I could. But yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's it's daunting, you know. When I was playing the the Beatles, we I just was like, I think I started with Good Day Sunshine. And then it ended up playing like Let It Be, which is like, we've all heard that song mm-hmm. i've played like i've played that song how many how many times have we all played that song sure. so much so that i forgot how the how amazing the production is on the original and we were listening to it in my car and i was like damn like when the drums finally come in they sound so good and it's like so loose you mm-hmm. know it's so and there's like this underlying second drum part happening and it's just killer. Like, I love it. So I loved it so much. Yeah. Especially with the Beatles songs too, you take for granted because you hear them in target all the time, but how often do you actually put headphones on and listen to these songs that you take for granted? It's uh, I'm going to go listen to let it be tonight when I'm, when I'm like chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to it. It's amazing. Well, speaking of Prince, you're a, you're a great co-host, Allison. So your number one, the album is around the world in a day. The artist is of course, Prince released here's 1985 and we're going to listen to one of these in a second but the key tracks again everyone listen to the whole record all of his discography but tambourine condition of the heart temptation and the drummers drummers are prince and the magnificent sheila e so take it away allison and then after that we'll decide which song you want to listen to 85 so that record came out when i was 11 and I was already a huge Prince fan from because Purple Rain came out a year earlier. And that is like a masterpiece, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I was already a huge fan and crazy about Prince. But this was the record right after Purple Rain. And CDs were catching on. And it was one of the first albums I got on CD. I started drumming kind of at summer camp when I was eight. So, but I had started getting more serious about it. And the the song Tambourine off of this record, Around the World in the Day, was the first song I ever learned on the drums. Mm. So it was kind of like the first time I ever, if you want to academically say, I transcribed. Um, and I learned the drum parts to it. And at the time, I was psyched because, like, I had been listening to all these different types of music, but I didn't, I had never heard, um, I didn't really know of any other female drummers or women drummers, you know? And then I found out that Sheila E was on this record. And so that's kind of partly why I dug deep into it as well. Um, although I later found out that that's not even Sheila E on that track. It's Prince playing drums. Mm. So it's pretty, for me, it's like very special that the first song I ever learned on the drums was not by a, a drummer, you know, uh, or what I thought a drummer was. And, and it's just, this track is so killer. It's so syncopated, so rhythmic. I feel like every single part, and I don't just mean the drum parts, I mean the, the guitar parts, the percussion, the vocals, it's like all meant to be. And it all, it's like perfectly produced to me. And sure, it sounds dated now, but in the time, at the time, it was just so funky and raw and out. I mean, I couldn't have put words to it then, but it felt like, every genre rolled into one song to me. You know, it felt like jazz, funk, soul, avant-garde. The harmony is super outside, if you know what I mean by outside, but it's a brilliant track, you know? And at that time also, Prince was really one of the only artists really messing around with drum machine and drum set at the same time. And a lot of the parts he played himself, like apparently he, manually played a lot of those grooves with the lindrum and uh, that continues on this record but there's also him he's he's also playing drum set as well okay is sheila on yeah. percussion or does she have nothing to do with this track sheila only plays drums on pop life which is a different track on the record oh, okay um, mm-hmm, but prince plays prince plays almost all the instruments on this record and then uh condition of the heart is just one of the most beautiful songs i've ever heard and there's this epically long instrumental intro it's totally jazz you know it's jazz super jazz influenced and it's all mostly piano and some ethereal sounds and then when it finally really hits a pocket like a groove it's this swampy lit the snare is so behind the beat it's just so swampy and i hadn't discovered at that time i i hadn't discovered drummers like levon helm or you know um Mm. Some like some, you know, Al Green. I haven't hadn't discovered any of that music, you know, where you feel that swampiness, that kind of southern Memphis backbeat, you know. Um, and so to hear that on this Prince album, the same album that has this badass tambourine pocket, you know, I'm, I'm definitely glad I chose this album as one of the albums. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, just for the sake of the intro's long, I would say people go listen to that in their own time, but let's listen to Tambourine. Oh, cool.
close my eyes. What's it like? What's it like inside your tambourine? Oh my God, there I go, falling in love with the face in a magazine. Awesome. Yeah, everyone go check yeah. out that record. My God. Yeah, and, and I think at the time also, like I had no I couldn't put it to words, but I was obsessed with him and I, I like was crushed on him and also wanted to be him, you know? Mm. <laughs> like I didn't and he was so androgynous to me and I was like subconsciously discovering my queerness and I was like, Oh my god, what is he talking about? Like what's <laughs> yeah. the tambourine? Like exactly. I went inside the tambourine too. Yeah, know? yeah. Sounds nice in there. Yeah. But I just like, I had no idea, you know, as a kid. Sure. But I do know that I was already like crushing on girls and boys. And, you know, like I yeah. didn't really, couldn't put it to words, but it was, Prince definitely was my gateway <laughs> into that. Yeah. Prince is sexy. I think everyone has a crush on Prince for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, y'all. I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely. It's loud and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was gonna be or if it was gonna be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye so number two, Miles Smiles is the album. The artist is Miles Davis, released here 67. And a few key tracks, Freedom Jazz Dance, Gingerbread Boy, Footprints, Dolores, and Mr. Tony Williams. So uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah, so this album was the first, I'm trying to think of what grade. I always think it's seventh grade, but maybe it was sixth. I don't know. But I bought this cassette. 
from a kid at lunch. It was the only, he had two cassettes he was selling and it was, to me, it looked cooler than the other one. I don't remember what the other one was, but. Did he have like a business or what was he selling cassettes? That was like a side hustle? It was a side hustle. Totally. Like, that's great. I don't, know, Good for I don't him. think he paid for those cassettes. You know, uh, he was yeah, exactly. selling them and at recess, you know, and, um, and I didn't know who Miles Davis was yet. I just bought it because it looked really cool. And um, mm-hmm. and I got home. I played it on my my cassette player, and I just was like, "Oh, this is I want to do this." Like I don't know what mm-hmm. this is, but they are communicating and like the musician. I mean, the musicians are on such a high level, and also basically in dialogue with each other on their instruments. You know, on such a deep level and. That just blew me away. I loved the sound of the drums. Those early that well, that quintet, you know, the Tony Williams, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Ron Carter, and Miles was is my favorite favorite quintet. Favorite one of my favorite improvisational groups, and that's what made me want to play jazz. You know, before that, somebody I can't remember who it was. Someone had given me a Buddy Rich record. I like. I mean, I was impressed by his drumming, but I just it didn't really give me shivers you know i mean everything that tony plays on that record feels conversational like there's a there's a real specific reason why he's doing it it doesn't feel like there's any ego on the table um he's just playing music and he's in conversation with the other soloists you know and there's space like i don't know like when i listen to that record now on like my stereo system at home um or with headphones it's almost like i can touch the snare drum you know or i can I can touch the symbol. I can feel it. Like, I feel like I'm right next to it. And, you know, both of you, you and I know that to do that on record, like recorded in the studio is very, it's like nearly impossible to capture that magical energy in the studio. And they did that, you know, and also they were playing like six nights a week and touring all the time. It was like a a heyday of jazz, you know, but to capture that energy through a record is really nearly impossible. And, um, so for me, that that record is just, just unbelievable. And also Tony's technique, his sound. I mean, Tony's like, I would say my number one as far as ins- jazz drummer inspiration. I saw him with Wallace Roney when I was a kid. At uh, I grew up outside of D.C. in Maryland, and I saw him at Wolf Trap, which is a big outdoor amphitheater. But even better, I saw him just a few months before he passed at Birdland in New York City. Oh, and nice. That. I literally sat three feet from the drums and it was with Mulgrew Miller and Ron Carter. And I could not, you know, this was later Tony, right? So it was like big yellow drums, huge sound. And he was playing so loud and I could hardly (laughs) hear Ron or Mulgrew, but it somehow made musical sense, you know, and it was brilliant. I mean, his technique, like his sound, that commitment to having this kind of full control over what he's doing on the kit, um, was just unbelievable, you know. I could, you know, I could just talk about Tony the entire time. I mean, I just think Tony was one of the most musical humans, and also a great writer. Like when he started, when he kind of left uh, Miles and started his own, you know, he had that record Spring that came out after he left Miles. He might have still been playing with Miles. I'm not quite sure on the dates, but um, it's exactly what I love: genreless music. It's got swing and stuff. It's got avant-garde it's compositionally very sophisticated it's just incredible so yeah i could tony all day and 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 as far as tracks go on um 
on Miles Miles Freedom Jazz Dance. Like I love the way, and I, I later found out that Miles actually requested that my that Tony do that thing, you know, the triplet thing, and that's what you know. He, first, I guess Miles requested that he play all triplets, like every triplet on the snare, and I think Tony was like, even I can't do that, but I can do yeah, this, yeah. and then he did that, and I still like. That influenced me so much that that little idea just influenced me beyond. And I, I find myself doing that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, here is Freedom Jazz Dance. So number three, the album is The Avant-Garde. The artist is artists John Coltrane and Don Cherry. Came out in 1966. He tracks The Invisible, The Blessing, Focus on Sanity, and the drummer is Ed Blackwell. So take it away. I don't think Ed's been talked about. Really? Yeah. I could, I mean, I could have easily just picked five Ed Blackwell records. Uh, Okay. Other than Tony, I would say Ed is my second biggest influence. Part of that is, you know, is or was, I'm just going to say is because he will forever live on mm-hmm. in all of our hearts, is his his ability to bridge the gap between genres. You know, um, he was from New Orleans, so he had that that feel, right? I mean, really, essentially, all of these drummers we're talking about make the music feel really good, you know, which is the whole point of a drummer yeah. is to make it feel good and make it danceable. So, mm-hmm. um if you heard Ed Blackwell, like it always felt good. No matter any record you put on with Ed Blackwell on, it feels real good, you know. And he had such a long career with Ornette Coleman, and I'm particularly, I'm, I'm very attracted to that era of Ornette Coleman, the Harmonics, and like this time. I guess they call it time no changes, where you're not specifically tied to any chord changes, but you're playing the swing feel. You know, you're you're tipping, but it's not tied to any specific chord change and. I'm really attracted to that. I think also, like, I'm originally from Texas, and Ornette was from Texas, and I guess they used to call it kind of country jazz. I think his Ornette, the way Ornette wrote melodies, because I'm talking about Ornette because a lot of the tunes on this record are Ornette tunes, um, even though he's not on the actual record. But they're so melodic to me and also very vocal. Like, they feel 
very emotional and vocal. And to hear, as far as the album goes, to hear John Coltrane and Don Cherry play together kind of blew my mind when I first heard this record because I knew John Coltrane, I knew Don Cherry, and I thought they were in really different worlds. But then they made this record together and um, it like brought each of them a little closer to their each other's worlds, but also highlighted their differences, you know? And I just think it's like, a magical combination and um ed blackwell takes a few incredible drum solos on this record and i think i've transcribed most of them and they're so melodic they're so feel good and energetic and um african you know it's just like he's really hearkening the the african influences which is where all of this music we're talking about today comes from you know all american music started on a different continent, you know? So I feel that real connection with him. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious when you listen to Ed Blackwell, um, but this was my first introduction to him was this record. And I could listen to this record. I mean, today, you know, I was listening to it today because I was trying to make decisions about this uh, for this interview. And I got shivers listening to um, The Blessing, you know? And part of it was the melody is just so beautiful. And I was like, oh, you can you can write a beautiful melody and still have it super swinging you know, and mm-hmm. super energetic, which is something, you know, I write just as much as I drum. And, you know, this is one of this record was a really early influence for me of like, oh, I can write a beautiful melody and still have it have this really agitated, percolating energy underneath the melody, you know, which is wonderful. Which song do you want to play? Oh, man. Well, maybe we should play The Blessing since I just mentioned it. Perfect. Yeah. Here we go. The Blessing smack dab in the middle of the record right here. Yeah. cool yeah i had never heard at that point i had never heard a chordless group before so no you know no piano or guitar and i had never heard a drummer do that you know kind of again three with their left foot you know um, yeah which he did a lot and also he just was the like it just made sense to me when i heard him you know i was like oh 
Right. Like it's so swinging. It's so quarter note based. And then he's taking this melodic solo, but it's like he's mastered the art of playing melodies using paradiddles and double paradiddles. <laughs> you know what I was like? I've always been obsessed with rudiments. So I was like, oh, it made sense to me. Great choices. I love your choices so far. And I mean, not that this is going to be a 180, but this is going to be a little different. So it's Plantation Lullabies. The artist is Michelle and Diggio Cello. Released here is 93. All the songs are great in this record. Uh, I'm digging you. Step into the projects. Call me. Sit outside your door. And then, yeah, it's it's more of a programmed record, but it's a David Gamson produced record. So, um, yeah, take it away. And then we'll listen to some some Michelle. Well, I can't remember who introduced me to this record. This was her first record. And I'm like, you know, all Michelle all the time. Like, I've had the honor of getting to know her a little bit. In fact, I'm playing with her in a couple of weeks for a for something in New York. And certain people I'm just still can't be normal around. Like, I'm I'm just such a fan of hers. Everything she does, even though I know her now. And I just, I can't. I can't like I'm too big of a fan like I'm always nervous around her you know mm-hmm. um, but yeah I discovered this record I was in college I was in at school in West Virginia really in the, kind of in the middle of nowhere and I discovered this album and this just was like this was the song this is the only record I listened to in my car for probably a year just over and over and over again and I was like oh my god it's like lyrically who is this this person that I'm like that is just pronouncing their identity and uh, getting into some real racial issues and politics and and making it accessible for so many people um with it didn't feel like without with it felt like it was done without any compromise and i love that she had you know i think on um oh step into the projects like i uh, jerry allen is on that who's just one of my favorite pian- jazz pianists She's on that. Uh, Joshua, a young Joshua Redman is on this record. So she oh, brought in all that. of these different. Yeah, she brought in all these different musicians from from what would seem like different genres to press and media. But it just is a clear statement of like, no, music is music. And we are musicians and we play the music, whatever's called for that music. So I love that about her. Um, and also she just was like, I don't know, you know, so queer, you know, and doing something like the way she sings and kind of it's like a sing speak I think she was like kind of one of the first artists to do that um and just really like stepping out there and being vulnerable and like uncompromising for who she is um, at such a young age and also at a time where I don't think humans identifying as women were really doing as much you know um, I mean it was actually a 93 that was a pretty awesome time for women like I feel like there were all these women pop stars you know but she was doing something different you know mm-hmm. and and for me that was a huge inspiration and then just pocket wise it's just so sick you know like that feel like where that where the backbeat sits and it's a lot of it's programming actually but I you know it, it sounds a little dated now but like I still love that record you know let's play step into the projects okay cool Step, step, step into the projects right down love. 
Seven to step into the pride trap. Bend into his mind, she creeps in this world of lies and confusion. She's the only thing that clouded by illusions. The pain of everyday life is hidden in the blackness of her skin. He searches to find peace within. He finds love in the blackness of her skin. Step, step into, step into the projects where right? I found love. Step, step into the projects where right? I found love. Step, step, step into, step into the projects where right? I All right, so number five, Zoning, and mm-hmm. the artist is Mary Lou Williams. Released here is 1974, a few key tracks, Praise the Lord, Intermission, Rosa May, and Mickey Roker. I'm not familiar with that drummer, so enlighten us. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, you know, I, like, I love this record, this record means the world to me and has influenced me as a drummer and composer and just influenced me as far as how to kind of have a career. Um, and also it's Mary Lou Williams, who's like grandmother of jazz and and fought so much oppression and so many, um, so much hardship and just, you know, kept moving forward and, you know, never compromised where she wanted to go musically and was often not accepted for that. And oftentimes people don't know anything about her, you know, because of, uh, sexism, which still exists, and um, people know her for one one little sliver of her career, which is usually around the 40s when she was arranging for a lot of popular uh, male-led bands and doing a lot of what, what was called Boogie Woogie at the time. But this record was in 1974, and there are moments that are completely free, like piano duo avant-garde and then super in the pocket backbeat stuff and uh, one the one of the songs is in eleven. You know, like she was just she just kept growing and evolving. Um, but it was always really rooted in the blues, which for me is kind of where the feeling feeling of it comes from. But Mickey Roker, I you know I have not listened to a ton of Mickey Roker. I got a chance to hang and meet with him meet him once um, when I was in Australia because he I think it was Australia. He was living there for the end end of his life. But this guy. A lot of people aren't hip to Mickey Roker, but he's on so many great records and kind of like an undervalued drummer, I think. Um, and that's to me, it's probably because he was just playing the music, you know, making it feel really good, but not being extra flashy or anything like that. So and some people might disagree with me who know Mickey, Mickey, Mickey better than I do. But um, this record in particular is just incredible, like that trio like they were a regular working trio and you can really hear it on this album there's um there's also a conga player and i'm forgetting his name but one of the uh, praise the lord that track is just conga there's no drum set um and that thing is so insane it like if we don't listen to it now i hope you listen to it um on your own because i don't know how this guy like keeps up and plays the conga like he does for that long it's incredible but i think the track that we should listen to is Rosa May, did I list that track? You did, yep. That track is, that pocket is sick. And it's so spacious and simple. Like this record really hammered in, for me, this feeling of like, right, like the music doesn't have to be all filled. All the notes don't have to fill up all the space. Like there can be some real space in the music and the harmony doesn't have to be super complex to have it be complex. You know what I mean? Like it's just incredible. Hell yeah. Well, here's Rosa May. Rosa May. 
Mm. Right? This record really fooled me about like rhythmic counterpoint between the instruments in a band, you know, like there's that, that song, the praise the Lord, you know, like Mary Lou is playing very kind of spacious and rubato on top of this really agitated fast conga part. And it's just incredible. You know, it's like, Oh, right. Rhythmic counterpoint, you know, is so important in the music. Well, I'm not going to play it just because I want people to have the excuse to go listen to this record. So go find it, guys. Go find Praise the Lord. But Allison, <laughs> that's your that's your top five. So, wow. And I'm going to put all your honorable mentions in the show notes. The Cure, the Keith Jarrett Trio. You have some Jack DeJanette on there. Go go check all those out. But um, you've had a gig today. I know it's it's uh, you're on the East Coast, so it's way later than me. So... If, if you want to give people a chance to figure out, you know, where they can find out more about you, and then I will let you get some rest. Okay. Yeah, well, you can find me. Um, usually if you just any go to any, um, you know, social media, and I'm usually Ali Boom Boom always. So uh, A-L-L-I Boom Boom. And that's on Instagram or Facebook. Boom and, Boom. Uh, yeah, Ali Boom Boom. <laughs> yeah, and I have, a, you know, a new record that just recently came out. Um, called Rivers in Our Veins, and that is like a, a studio version of a very kind of big multimedia project, touring project that I have that has my full band and also three dancers and video. So it's a it's a whole thing. But that record came out in October. So Awesome. Yeah, and people can go buy all your records, I believe, you know, the merch and all that stuff on your website. Um, yep, yeah, it'll, a lot of my records come out um, on a really great label called Royal Potato Family. And if you go to my website, which is just allisonmiller.com, it'll direct you to their website if you want to buy any merch. All right, this week's big fat favorite is from Blair Sinta. 
I ran into Blair a few days ago in North Hollywood, so thought I'd give him a little shout out here, and he's been out with Fits in the Tantrums as of late. So one of his choices was the album In the Jungle Groove, the release year. It's a compilation, but the release year was 1986. The artist is James Brown, and his song choice was Talking Loud and Saying Nothing. The drummer is John Jabbo Starks. So here's what Blair had to say. For understanding simplicity and feel, this record was my play along. How light, funky, and popping Jabbo and Clyde are still amazes me. No bullshit, all groove. The hi-hat snare interplay on this tune is wild, and the recording has a slight distortion. It's simmering and incredible. All right, so here is talking loud and saying nothing. That's on, Ron. Okay. One, one. the show if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews do that it helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger and better and hopefully i'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'll be an og listener that can brag to all your friends anyways why don't you go and check us out at bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on all the socials just search for big fat snare drum and you will find us the show is edited in part using isotope rx audio editor it's amazing so go check that out at isotope.com and thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.